episode 256 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, today is January 22nd as we record this, and it marks a pretty important anniversary. I will say it's pretty coincidental we're recording today, but for you, this was important. This was a big deal that we did happen to record today. And to open up, I want to ask you a question. Is a year long enough to recover from devastation? Ah. Well, I think everybody has their own way of coping with such uh, critical decisions, moves. I don't know. Is Yana's truly over to Jason Kidd firing yet? I don't know. Has Jason Kidd left that pizza place? What was the quote that that uh, he tried? He gave Ramona Shelburne. But the, so, like, so the story after fire. We, I should was, just in case any of you haven't realized now, it is the one year anniversary of the Bucks' decision to fire Jason Kidd as head coach. Um, the Bucks have come a, a long, long way in the time since. But <laughs> you were going to ask Jordan what was was it the where he implied that Giannis tried to save his job. Yeah, but he, he offered like, to save his job. He made it the way like it was framed was like, he was making the sacrifice. Like I know what I did. It's been coming. And <laughs> it was like an end of a movie where like they're on the run or something like that. And so when, I just watched hell or high water. So this is like fresh in my brain. It's like, no, you go on live without me. <laughs> you just watched it for the first time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, he called me and said, Coach, this isn't right what they're about to do. <laughs> but they're going to let you go, Kid told ESPN. Kid said he replied, I had a feeling that was going to take place. That's that's exactly like he would. What the hell? It's so weird. To which Antetokounmpo responded, what can I do? I'll call the owners. I'll call my agent. Kid said he told him. No. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> All you can do is tell the truth. That's it. That was it. That was it. That was the. Oh my god. That kid made a habit of telling the truth over the previous three years. <laughs> I hadn't no. noticed. Anyway. He even. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway. We wanna... Yeah. We. That was. I mean, in itself, in a nutshell. That was revisiting something stranger than anything that has happened with the books in the 12 months since. Just that kind of little response. You know, things have been 
remarkably normal. Calm. Like, we mentioned this before. In particular, the the fact that we don't have to like watch out for post game press conferences, as in, what is he gonna say this time? It really says something. Does it? In hindsight, with things going well, does the whole Jason Kidd experience feel all the more stranger now? Oh, completely. I mean, he went out just the way he went in with utter confusion and hysteria. I mean, that was, I mean, it was just so weird. I remember, I, I, uh, it's so weird to think about that the, the big season now. There was just, again, there was just so many weird things and it just got per, like precipitously stranger as it went on. Like last year, we all talked about it. I mean, we have a full bank load of podcasts just talking about like, oh, the Bucks are, they're chugging along and they're doing <laughs> weird things and all this stuff. But there, it was like, it was, it got to the point where it was just so tiring from not just from a fan perspective, but from, you know, writing about the bucks that it was just like you could like you'd write something about positive you know something positive which was mainly Giannis and then everything else just like was up for a fair game of like just like what what are we gonna do here like it was just it just felt like there was a story day after day and then that not only that but there was just like these random the random roster moves that just like came out of like nowhere and kept coming and coming as uh but uh, it's it's amazing all the things that we were really pre- preoccupied with 12 months ago, like add Jabari to that list, just how irrelevant they are, not just for the books, but for the NBA a year later. Yep. Like, it it's absolutely crazy just how far removed either of those things are from relevance. Jason Kidd or Jabari Parker. Yeah, and just how um, much better the books are. We're missing too. Jack I mean, Bradley. look at... <laughs> What Joe Prunty? Oh, I don't want to go that far, but I mean, think about all the bu- the bench players that they. I mean, Shabazz, Brandon Jennings, Jason Terry. Oh, I mean, Brandon Jennings is like one of those things is not like the other, and the other two are you know there's you're right the points stands for them, but one of those things really is not like the other. I know, but I'm just I'm just saying like the Bucks having a bench compared to you know. There were, I think there were, what, five guys that were on the bench by the end of the year last year that aren't even in the NBA? And they were generally playing in the playoffs. But, I mean, like, Brandon Jennings, which was just so ridiculous at the time. Mm-hmm. What did he last? Ten games at Santa St. Petersburg? Before they were like, yeah, we don't want this. I'm just seeing here. Do you know exactly how that came to an end for Brandon Jennings? We should. We are it was something with the Karasev. It was Sergei We are the Six uh, podcast, after all. We should probably talk about this. Yeah, the, our figurehead. Um, it was... Was it really too? I don't know. I don't know who the head coach is. But it was a Karasev, because he was... Well, the head coach must be gone since then as well. Right. He, he, when it all came crashing down, he had pulled up an Instagram post... Lesson in life, I will never play for a team and the dad is coaching his son. Never again. I don't know if he's in a position to rule that out because what if, say, Doc and Austin Rivers get reunited somewhere in the NBA and they come calling? Is Brandon Jennings just like, no, I'm out. I'm not doing it. 
Oh, my God. But on to bigger and better things. On to bigger and better things. Um, we have a couple of things we want to talk about. One, which we didn't do last year, was obviously the change with the Bucks two-way deal. We're going to talk about the two-way players generally. And when I say we, I mean Jordan. Um, because he watches the herd and I don't this year. Uh, but we're going to get on to that. We are also going to talk about Marcus Johnson's long overdue jersey retirement. Um, really kind of a surprise in the end that it came along when it did, but couldn't be happier that it did. We'll talk a little bit about that. But first, to continue kind of something we discussed last week, um, mostly through the mailbag, but a lot of conversation was surrounding, you know, if the books are to have multiple all-stars, who's the other guy? Who else is really in position to get it? Someone is taking the bull by the horns or the deer by the antlers, as you frequently write in articles. I mean, at least once a day, I have to edit an article where Jordan references taking the deer by the antlers. Um, and that's Eric Bledsoe. <laughs> Eric Bledsoe is playing very, very well at the moment. Both ends of the floor. His defense has been great for a while, but his offensive late has kind of stepped up a notch. And the last few games, he's kind of been a key driving force for the Bucs as they're now on a five-game winning streak. That is not going unnoticed, and I can't help but wonder whether timing is really playing into Eric Bledsoe's hands here. Because as we start to see kind of national riders with and without votes um, making their all-star picks, although those, those votes only count for the starters anyway, um, we're looking at Eric Bledsoe's name start to appear. Kevin O'Connor, the ringer on, what day was that? Monday? Monday. Um, he posted his picks with Eric Bledsoe, landing in one of the final two spots of the Eastern Conference. And on Tuesday, as we record, ESPN Zach Lowe posted his own picks with a pretty detailed breakdown on you know what it came down to and really the book situation and the the chance that the books are going to be punished for having depth that <clears throat> the raptors don't have this year um it was in the piece it was in the piece maybe i've added some emphasis to it but it was in the piece i heard a cough i heard a cough uh, <laughs> But he also explored the Middleton, Bledsoe kind of dueling cases. And I think the point he ultimately made was Bledsoe's calling card was his defense. Middleton's is his shooting. We've seen more of Bledsoe's calling card than Middleton's this season. He's the pick. It's kind of hard to argue with that in that context. Mm -hmm. Although I think both of us would feel Malcolm Brogdon and Brooke Lopez are going under discussed still in this wider debate, particularly as they are both playing really, really well at the moment too. But if Bledsoe can keep this up for, you know, just another couple of weeks, right around to the time when coaches are voting, or even at the time where if it comes to it, the league are in a spot where they're making replacement picks. Do you think he could be an all-star this year? Are the Bucks' chances of a second all-star on the rise? I would say yes. Um, and I, I, we've had what two podcasts, three podcasts talking about. I was kind of leaning more towards it will just be Giannis and everything else. I mean, what you said last week was perfect that. Two through five, you can make a case for any one of them. 
uh, and that's going to cancel it out. Uh, obviously, like Zach Lowe just said, like the same thing and all that stuff. But Bledsoe's kind of, you know, if we're talking narrative here, hashtag narrative. I mean, if you really think about, like, obviously January, he's been great, and he's scoring really efficiently without shooting well from three, which is kind of remarkable. I mean, that would be something last year that people would be like, you know, fool's gold, but obviously, you know, as we talked about to open up the <laughs> today's uh, show, um, there was a lot of uh, weird stuff going on with that. But anyway, last year was uh, last year, and this year is this year. Exactly. On to bigger and better things. The truth will be revealed. The truth is out there. Um, I don't know. I think ever since like the Bucks played the Rockets, that was there was a lot of talk about like that defensive strategy. This is getting really in the weeds, but just it's not. It's not. That's that was on TNT, ESPN. No, ESPN, ESPN. Yeah, yeah, nationally televised game. Nationally televised game where he broke out a very unorthodox approach to defending James Harden, and ultimately got good enough results that the Bucks are able to win the game. That was two weeks ago too, so it was still. I mean, that that was basically from the start of. 2019 to here and ever since then he's been on a tear he's scored double digits in like the last like seven eight games he's really i mean the magic game we talk about like the warriors game being his best game in a bucks uniform that magic game is right there it's kind of neck and neck for me just because he was just brilliant season high Um, 30 points yeah season high 30 points i mean 12 of 14 shooting if i remember correctly what was it? I think it was 12 of 14 shooting, if I remember correctly. Yeah. He's just been fully optimized. And the the stuff that we talked about when the Bucks honestly, first traded for him, everything's been there. Like, even with, you know, the shooting flaws currently, you know, really uh, pronounced at the, at the moment. But he's been great defensively. He'll, yes, he his engagement around that end can kind of wax and wane depending on where, like, you know, if the Bucks are up by 20 <laughs> versus if the Bucks are up by like 10 or, you know, lower. But again, I mean, he's written a book called how to have a contract year. And uh, it's, it's, it's been very good. It's been a good read so far. What would Chris Middleton's book be called, Jordan? Um, how to not have a contract year. That would be it. I, I got those two for Christmas. They're good reads. Good good uh, pairing. <laughs> okay. how, does the, how does the second one finish? Can you tell us? Or, actually, I don't you know. know maybe with how the... does the first one finish? That's, oh, That's maybe more interesting to me. That might be more pressing, considering uh, the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think the interesting part of this discussion is I think Bledsoe's narrative needs to get really loud. He needs to keep doing what he's doing, because I... Still have this feeling like I had last week that if it comes down to, you know, the books are going to get a second guy, I still think Middleton is going to be right there in spite of the fact that anyone actually watching the books will completely realize that right now Chris Middleton is not an all-star. Um, his numbers are going to be the best in terms of raw points per game, which that might matter to some coaches. I don't know as well. like. What detail do coaches really put into thinking on this? Film? I actually know. I I think this is that is a an argument that favors Bledsoe more than Middleton. And for a lot of the stuff that we talked about last time, is that 
Bledsoe is one of the few point guards that you Middleton's really having have... a down year, right? But do you not have to game plan to play Chris Middleton more than you do Eric Bledsoe? Or do you not have to be wary of him? If you play the books twice a year, if you're a Western Conference team, they, they're not your concern except those two occasions a year. You're used to, I guess, the average of what Middleton has been at his career rather than what we've seen. And you come in and you play him, and let's say he has a good night against some of those teams, although he hasn't had too many recently, so that'd be tough. Like, are you going to place a higher value on him? There is a weird thing with that. And obviously, some coaches pop, I think, does this nearly every year, but some coaches do just say, oh, uh, assistant coaches, here's the ballot, fill it out, and I'll put my name on it. And you'd wonder if every coach is particularly all that concerned with what players make all-star reserves. But if you really think about it, though, like that honestly is not a bad strategy because a lot of those assistant coaches, those are guys that are filling up the scouting reports they are looking at film and sure, all that I get, I get that. But I still think there is something to... Even now, with, with Middleton off his game, I think there's going to be an inclination for teams to be more wary of what a Middleton on his game will be than a Bledsoe on his game will be. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think mm. his style of play and what a good Middleton night equates to probably, you know, disturbs opposing coaches more than the equivalent for Bledsoe. Now, again, the reality to this is Bledsoe is having his good nights a whole lot more often than Middleton, but I just, with the way this is actually compiled, I don't know. Like, I, I this would be a very different discussion if we were talking all NBA teams of some sort where, you know, you generally, generally will have re journalists who put in a lot of research and a lot of thought into this, generally, not always, but most of them do it and they'll come to the right conclusions on this. I'm just not sure for All-Star, or if it gets to the league level, if like the league office are going to necessarily go for the guy whose defense has been better rather than the guy who scores more points per game. I'm not convinced. I think Bledsoe's more deserving, but Brook Lopez is on a tear, and I think if we were on a really relative kind of look at this, the guy who's blocked... Has he had two six-block games and a five-block game in his last three? I know his last game was five. The one before was six. Why do I feel like he had another? Maybe it wasn't before it that. It was the Rockets game. I mean, he's had five blocks like three times in two weeks. And that's on top of just generally continuing to be scorching hot with his shot. He did have one off night in there. Um... I mean, f yeah, five blocks against the Wizards was the one he had. It wasn't the Rockets. He had four against them. So four against the Rockets. This is since the 9th of January. Four against the Rockets, five against the Wizards, um, none against the Hawks, three against the Heat, two against the Grizzlies, none against... Sorry, six against the Magic, five against the Mavericks. Blocks. Brook Lopez, who... I mean, we all appreciate is pretty key to the book's defense now, but that wasn't something that many were anticipating coming into the season. And through that span, I mean, he's made at least one triple in every game. He's had multiple nights where he's hit three. He hit four against the Mavericks. He, he's made seven 
twice this season, eight once, I feel like. Um, isn't he an all-star too? I don't know. His name he's is certainly a starter. He, he's certainly a starter for the hipster all-star game. I'll tell you that much. Him, it's a front court of him, Pascal Siakam. Maybe Milton gets him that way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think Brooke will end up at the three-point shooting contest? Yes. I think it would be it is very Brooke, all right, to actually enjoy that and want to do that as well, which obviously plays into that. Malcolm Brogdon's got to make that too, though. He's he, not. He's not exciting. Like people aren't gonna be like, "Oh, it's Malcolm Brogdon," but I mean, he's a recent Rookie of the Year winner who's shooting 50, 40, 90. I'm not saying for a moment he'd do well. Maybe he would, but I don't, I'm not convinced. It's always difficult to know who's actually gonna adjust well to shooting off the rack. But I think oh there my should God. probably be two. I books. don't think he. We we talked about someone maybe making a three point shootout. Imagine Malcolm Brogdon shooting off the right. He wouldn't finish the three point shootout in sixty seconds. I think he would. He's not a. He's not a very swift. Well, I think he. I mean, he's not Tony Snell. Like in terms of his release, and then no. his movement isn't that swift. I think he's look. I'm saying the guy is shooting 50, 40, 90. <laughs> he must be top five in percentage, three point percentage at the moment. Haven't actually looked at that, but I would guess he's top five in three point percentage. He's also going through a, a kind of a slump. I feel like I mean, I very minor slump. Very his minor. Bigger slump it's not a, a middle to it's not a middle to no, slump. No, in relative terms, I mean, it's a it's a slump in you know. 2018 19 books context, but not in the Chris Middleton sense. Um, <laughs> <There's> just... <laughs> I don't know. There's just that we're very, be very slanderous. Towards... I'm not being slanderous. I'm not. No, I'm... I, I fully am. That's what well, okay. Well, we'll get to there's some questions in the mailbag. We'll get to that later. Um, Bledsoe on form seems the combination of most likely most deserving right now, but he's got to keep that up. Still a good chance that the books get no second All-Star because I think as much as, say, people like Lowe and Kevin O'Connor, who put a lot of thought into it, will go to the effort of finding the Bledsoe kind of pick, uh, I'm not convinced that name value won't win out in some of the other picks from coaches. We'll see, though. Marcus Johnson, Jordan. Finally, the number eight jersey is going to be raised to the rafters. It's taken until the books moved over to Pfizer form for it to happen. But on March 24th, when the books host the Cleveland Cavaliers on what I think is a Sunday afternoon game. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Yes, you're correct. Um, but it's, it's you're Mar- correct, sir. March 24th. Finally, Marcus Johnson will get his time to shine. This was a very nice and a very cool thing that happened this week. Mainly because of how the news broke. Matt Velasquez of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel was the first person to report the news. He uh, wrote an extensive piece that wasn't just basically a report. It was a feature and it got the thoughts of Marcus Johnson, thoughts of others around the organization, including Giannis, and really touched on the kind of personal elements of why this matters and why even the timing of it matters to him. But what made it particularly special was while the news broke, 
Marcus Johnson was commentating on the books against the Orlando Magic, allowing Jim Paschke to congratulate him on air, discuss it a little further, and to give him a chance to kind of, I guess, address the wider books audience with his feelings on what it means. I know you really enjoyed this. Is there something to, you know, okay, it took way too long. But at least it happened in this way when he wasn't a figure that, you know, books fans hadn't thought of or seen for 10, 15 years. He wasn't someone who was going to reappear for this one night and be gone. Instead, he's someone who's deeply entrenched in what everyone kind of thinks of as the books. And his relationships with everyone in the organization are so much stronger that it really means something. It's going to be maybe more special to him than arguably it has been for some others because he really seems to be rooted within the franchise. Yeah, I I mean, I'm not, again, it's comparing that to like Bobby Dandridge when he got his number retired, that was kind of a, a certain shock um, when that happened, what, four years ago? No? Yeah. Um, I, again, both deserving all that stuff, but yeah, it, I think there is something to be said about like the fact that you know he's been the color analyst for three years or three seasons. No, this is his fourth season, this is 40. He's on three, yeah, four se- wow, Jesus, yeah, yeah, basically the same time. Um, so there's you know, the, the older generation of Bucks fans that got to see him play and all that stuff, and the newer generation of Bucks fans that really enjoy his, you know, personality, all that stuff is obviously his insights to the game. Um, I don't know. There's just something kind of, it's kind of, again, when I, I wrote about this the other day on Monday, but it kind of bridges the gap again between those teams before everything, you know, the Bucks low points <laughs> for, for half of its uh, existence. He's kind of been that link, and that could have been, you know, Sydney Minecraft too. But you know, we focus on other things with Sydney when he was an announcer. Anyway, that was a weird tangent. Um, but he's been that link to those Bucks teams where you know, five years ago, like the history of the Bucks, we weren't really focusing on just because the 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 name of the Bucks was in a very very sorry state and a very. Just it, it's. I don't think it's know. that though either. If anything, that would be more reason to focus on the history. I just don't think there was a very good job being done by the franchise. No, no under no, the previous no, regime, for all Herb Cole did for the books, particularly upon leaving, um, he didn't exactly do right by the books' history in any way while he was there. Maybe I'm being they, too they harsh. They had a 40th anniversary celebration, which that kind of rekindled. You know that, or you know, uh, the all the legends that came back and all that stuff that kind of rekindled history. But for when I like started, all ties though, right? Even uniforms, um, like all kind of ties to those previous iterations of the books were very drastically moved away from under him. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like it's maybe it's harsh on him in a lot of ways, but when I when I think of Herb Cole and someone says, "Okay, what are Herb Cole's biggest contributions to the books?" They really are his arrival and his departure, and how he orchestrated both of those things and what they meant for the continued existence of the franchise in Milwaukee. 
you know, what he actually did during his tenure as owner, then not quite as great. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, that's a conversation for another day, but I don't think, I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, <laughs> but back to Marcus. Um, I don't know. There's just, it's, I think it's also, you know, we've talked about, we may, I think we, we've obviously talked about, everybody's talked about like him getting his uniform retired, his jersey retired. And it, I always knew it was going to, everybody knew it was going to happen because increasingly as those kind of questions came on, it, it just felt like there was, it felt like he was playing coy about like not knowing. I think there's also some, there's a significance about him having it in the new arena. It's their first, you know, retirement Jersey retirement in Pfizer forum. And it's going to be a long time since the Bucks retire another Jersey. I was thinking about this. I was going to ask you this. Maybe I'm wrong. I think the next time, unless I get really kind of... Say it. Unless they get trigger happy with this, right? And they keep retiring jerseys, which I don't think they'll do because as a franchise, they've already retired quite a lot of jerseys. They're up to nine. I think the next... And you can only have 99 or no, 101 numbers? (laughs) Sorry. I think the next jersey retirement is Giannis. I totally agree. Unless if DJ Wilson, no. <laughs> I mean the only the only two other contenders really have the misfortune of both having worn number thirty four, and the complications that come with that. And while Giannis is there, maybe down the line that can be overcome in some way. In a in a way where at that time people will then be like, "Why did it take this long for Ray Allen?" or "Why did it take this long for Terry Cummings?" I think with just how Giannis is already kind of putting both those guys' books' legacy somewhat in the shade, it's it's not not even it's, too premature to say comparable. that anymore. It is like, not comparable. You you can't retire someone else or honor someone else who wore number thirty four while he is still playing on the team and while he's still an active player. Yeah, big, it's it's just is not comparable. Big Dog, the only person who might have a case who isn't who didn't wear number 34 for the books no i'm not saying does he have a case i'm saying is he the only other person who might have a case i think he might have a case i think a lot of the current generation of fans would say he he's an undoubted undoubtedly deserving of that but i mean the reality and probably the reality for ray allen too is um one season does not get your jersey retired. And that's what that group really has to show. Exactly. In terms of team success. Yes. Think, thinking Glenn Robinson is, you know, it, it's comparable to Chris Milton with <laughs> becoming an all-star. I know one particular person who is going to be very, very offended yeah. at that. I'm very in his, in his wheelhouse right now. You've just hit his favorite thing and his least favorite thing and just compared them. Um, yeah, this could be a really long time. And maybe they wanted that day as an organization to come in Pfizer form. I would give the books organization credit. I think they have definitely started to consider the history of the franchise more. We did talk about this during the summer, though. I think there are more ways they can do that and more ways they should do that. Um, oh, certainly. 
because you know the franchise has a much richer history than I think many fans might assume, and particularly those who've just kind of moaned their way through the last decade with like never trust the books. You know, t- yeah. there there is actually something beyond that. Maybe something beyond that that can be kind of tapped into more if this season continues to go as it's going and they can build on that and be consistently good for a number of years. Anything else on Marcus Jersey retirement? We'll obviously be talking a lot more about it come March 24th and around that time. Um, no, I, I think I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> okay. I want you to step up on your soapbox then Jordan, Oh no, because <laughs> the time has come for us to talk about. <laughs> let me, let me scroll all the way down to the bottom of the G league records here. One second. I'm still scrolling. How I'm dare you? How dare still you? scrolling. The five and twenty-two Wisconsin herd. We're not going to do too much on the herd as much as we're going to talk to the two two-way players because obviously they are of real interest to all of you who listen to us for books talk. And the herd's record this year has ensured that we don't really bring general herd talk over to the podcast all that often. The only link to that everybody really cares about is if Christian Wood is putting up 2020 games. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. Well, let's Never. talk about that. Let's talk about all of that stuff. Catch books fans up who've paid no attention on what the herd season has been like. And then maybe let's preempt their next question, mm. which is <laughs> why has it been so bad? Uh, this is a very very interesting question um well as we're speaking <clears throat> they have gutted their roster um <laughs> uh significantly i counted the other day that there have been 23 players that have played for the herd this year that's not counting the player that they acquire they picked off through waivers to then waive uh james young and they've since made a trade so it just kind of tells you the state of the herd that they have uh it's been a disappointing year uh but since the turn of the year they have been much more improved there's been guys that have besides christian wood obviously that have been really uh picked up their game guy like michael qualls ever close to averaging a double double since uh you know january 1st um obviously the two-way guys between pick up bodzi colson who i really like He's just kind of a smooth. We'll get to him. We'll get to him. Sorry, sorry, well. sorry, yeah. This is where you talk with the other guys. Um, I mean, there's just been, <laughs> there's been so much turnover that it's 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 made for an interesting and just kind of like okay, who's who's next up on the plate? And I don't know. Shavad Thompson's been that's sorry. I, I should have probably <laughs> mentioned him first. He's been really good for them. He's kind of a, a, a more traditional big, but he's just. <laughs> just vacuums up uh uh misses off of you know off the offensive glass and just kind of puts up these very interesting you know stat lines and he's kind of helped them on the boards um as far as non kind of like two-way players or assignment players i'm trying to think of who else is really kind of brandon mccoy brandon mccoy he's been he's his role has kind of decreased as time went on he's kind of had a i, I think Tim Ray and I had a, a herd roundtable around Christmas time. We 
I think a lot of it just comes down to they have a lot of these inexperienced guys and rookie players that maybe they were thinking that could really translate right away, and it's been a much more um, tougher process for a lot of those guys. And a lot of those guys, I mean, some of those guys didn't play. I mean, Jordan Barnett, he just got traded. He's kind of an interesting 3D guy, but he just – his role was never really kind of there. Robert Johnson's an interesting player, but, again, he's he's only starting to get more opportunities as the season went on because of those moves happening. Um, Vander Blue is – you know, he has a lot of G League pedigree, but his season has been really tough, maybe just because he – didn't he played in Europe last year and he didn't get a uh you know a, a deal with the team since late November and he's kind of working his himself into you know into shape I, I don't know it's just it's there's just been a lot obviously a lot of moving parts and um it's it's made for a very tough ride this year but I think honestly they there are still little things that you can kind of pride yourself in especially as the year has gone on that they can uh you know, has made for a much more better watch, I would say. Well, I think something we did discuss earlier in the season was that there is, you know, just with the type of players they fill the roster with even, there is an obvious change in strategy to how the Bucks are going to use the herd this year. And it's one that is probably for the betterment in the long run. You could argue we've already seen that with how DJ and Sterling benefited from Bree spells down there and now what they're contributing to the Bucks. Um, but one move that I... I found particularly interesting and i'll reiterate i'm like probably all of you listening i have not watched a herd this season i don't have the time this year that's all jordan um and they don't so if you're if you're unhappy no, they don't make me regret not having the time all that often most of the time I'm like oh i'm glad that's jordan's job um but <clears throat> the james young move was one that i noticed a lot of books fans on twitter all of a sudden being like Wait, why did they waive James Young? Mm-hmm. Where I think it's kind of simple. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine it as they just don't have a use for James Young. They've probably reached a point with James Young where they say, okay, he's not going to be a book. He's possibly didn't taking... qualify for a two way, so he didn't qualify that. for two way anymore, and he's possibly taking minutes of younger guys who you could develop to maybe be NBA NBA players or maybe be two-way players, whether it's later this year, down the line, whatever it might be. Am I right in reading it that way? It's not It's not a reflection of his ability. Obviously, he's a very good player and was one of their best players, but their only goal is development. I mean, it's not about James Young might help us pick up two more wins this season. Let's keep James Young. It's They're trying to get something out of players find something that might be useful to the books long term and they just didn't really have use for him anymore. Yeah, I could I completely agree. Um and he battled a lot of inj- actually I this is a very over, a big oversight on my part. It's kind of the same conversation with Travis Trice who the herd traded last week where you know, he played for Team USA. He got increasingly better. He started he was shooting the 3 very well and was kind of that 1A to 1B to Christian Wood where if Christian Wood was, you know, not an assignment or he got in foul trouble or just wasn't, you know, on points or whatever, it would be Travis Trice kind of carrying the load and kind of really stabilizing things for the herd. But I think between him and James Young, who, to finish my point, he was battling a lot of injuries. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something more kind of long-term with his injury, just because, first of all, we don't really know 
what his injury is. It's not there. It, there isn't the greatest line of communication with G League stuff compared to obviously the NBA or any other league. Um, and you know, if you're thinking from his perspective, and what if his agent just goes like, okay, you might have to look for other kind of opportunities just because the herd were not that they were you know contending for the worst spot in the G League. He was thinking maybe he's thinking like, well, I could look for better opportunities, maybe get a 10-way if I if I land somewhere else and kind of show out if I'm healthy and stuff like that. I just don't know. We, we don't know at this time until he gets, you know, uh, land somewhere else. But I think it's – I think all these moves are showing that they they really want to see the – you know, obviously the two-way guys in particular, but they just want to see what they have in the guys that weren't getting consistent opportunities before, you know, as the season started and – Kind of went it from November to December and with all their struggles. So, I, I think that's that's a very fair way to kind of put it at this point. Okay, and let's bring it to the point where everyone listening can actually start actively listening again. Where we talk with two way players. <laughs> First off, Jalen Morris was waived. Mm-hmm. Right decision in your book. Is that again? Um, They'd seen all they felt they needed to see, and a better option was there at the time, and they're going to explore that instead. I think it was certainly a. He was up with the Bucks for a lot of time, so those days. I don't know how many days, how many games he was up with the Bucks, but even though, like, even if he was inactive, like that's a day for him. I think it was them kind of looking at you know, say if they get an injury, knock on wood, obviously. Um, and they have to rely on their two-way players. Duvall is, I think he's only been up for one game this year. Right. And Morris, and Morris was probably up to maybe, I would guess, over 10. So from that perspective, I think they were thinking, you know, let's do what everybody else is doing at the moment and cycle through a two-way player and give, unfortunately, they had to cut Jalen Morris, who I, I enjoyed watching him with the Herd. I think he's a very interesting player. He he's just missing a very consistent jumper to really what I think could, he could be an NBA player, honestly. Um, but it's just unfortunate that again, you know, as we saw last year with when the two way rule or two way contract rule came through, everybody's cycling through these teams or through those players that they, you know, if they're low on days or if they're out of, well, days. again, let's not reflect too much on last year because I know, but last year was very different, even with two way players for the books than this year. You know, Jalen Morris wasn't getting spot starts. Yep, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so does that mean that Jalen Morris is going to be signed by the Wizards next year? Or Those spot year? starts have kept GP2's career going. I mean, the mitten survives it's on a 10-day with the Wizards right now. It is winter. It is the winter of our discontent. Everybody needs to wear mittens. Bonzi Colson. First impressions, Jordan. Very interesting. Very interesting. I think he's... He had... His last game was more of a quiet game, but he's... He's... Surely has hit the ground running, I would say, in the three games uh, since getting a two-way contract. can do a little bit of everything. He can really shoot it. He can really handle and create offense for himself. Um, rebounding has been int- – he certainly has the frame to really uh, 
banging the boards and maybe as the season goes on, he plays more kind of the small lineups, which I think briefly they went to during the go, go game. That's, that's a team name. Um, Wait, but I'm very intrigued. I think, I think a lot of the, um, it's interesting. It's interesting to see like what he looks physically. Cause obviously everybody knows that he broke his foot twice last year and that kind of really sunk any chance of him, uh, getting drafted or, you know, kind of being immediately picked up by a team, uh, after the draft, but he has very skinny legs for a kind of a, a more stout guy, I would say. And it kind of, it, it, I think who was it? There was a draft prospect that we talked about that. I th- noticed it might've been like, uh, it's, the name is going to. Who, who's he play know. for? Who did he play for? He got picked up by someone. Let me help you. (laughs) Shake Milton. It was Shake Milton. He had very, like, kind of very skinny legs. If you look at Bonzi Colson, he has a very kind of, like, lower base. And it, I don't know. This is a very random tangent. It's a Melvin Frazier tangent. Oh, Oh, uh, here we go again. I got to saw him play the other day. It was very good. I made a wham (laughs) joke in the midst of all that, and you didn't hear it. I'm disappointed. What was it? Well, you said oh the go go yeah. Um, <laughs> it's fair to say Bonzi Colson really fits in with the Bucks wider kind of. Oh, I guess. Angle pass shoot. Yeah, uh-huh. also length. I mean, he's got a long wingspan, if I remember correctly. I can't remember exactly what it is. I wonder if you can. Hmm. But he does seem know, like I don't know if it I don't know if it would have it because he he didn't go in the combine. I don't know what it would be. Seven foot. He certainly has long seven long foot as well. Uh, Google says. Google, interesting. Have you heard of it? I'm more of a Bing man myself. <laughs> That's not surprising. Yeah, there's articles from Sports <laughs> Illustrated, NBADraft.net, all these things citing a seven foot wingspan. So six six with a seven foot wingspan is pretty books you know um we had high hopes in terms of potential not necessarily for what he'd do this year but for maybe long term if he could become something for the books and of course i'm talking about trevon duval his year has been i guess in line with expectations overall really in line with any sort of realistic expectations but i can't help but notice from my very distant vantage point for all things heard. He seems to be kind of clicking in some form of lately. Is there, is there a sense that maybe he is starting to improve or is this just a hot streak rather than a, like a, a down spell? Um, well, that's a big question because a lot of it, it just comes down to, He's becoming more aggressive attacking the basket. He's scoring 17.1 points in January. Uh, averaging, or that's on like 40, 40, uh, 47% shooting from the field. And a lot of that is, again, at you know attacking the basket. His shooting is always going to be a problem. He's an Eric Bledsoe type. Yes, exactly. It is honestly the same conversation as Eric Bledsoe. It's a lot of it is just comes down to, again... <laughs> As we talk about Eric Bledsoe, kind of 
rowdy out the other elements more cerebral uh part of his game where he knows picks his spots more more uh uh more carefully because he's a very kind of high risk high reward player where he will if he thinks he can steal a ball and you know break up a pass he will go for it and he will gamble a lot and so that sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't but I, I would say it's it's definitely been in line with what I uh, expected. There's been the low's been really low. Like when he's when he's off, he's pretty off. But wh- again, when he's on, he's he's can do pretty. Uh, you can see why he was a such a highly regarded prospect before he went to Duke because everything's there in terms of athleticism and just kind of wanting to be a really good player. It's just there's again. You're in the. He's a two-way player playing mostly in the G League. There's always going to be things to kind of iron out, but he's still only 20 years old. How do you think he'd hold up mentally if he was to find himself against Terry Rozier in a playoff series? Um, <laughs> are you asking if he would start? Wait, who would be a Duval? David Duval? Would, oh, that would be that good. Be, I'd be in on that. David Du. It's actually Duval. That was something it I is. learned. It is oh, for, for which one? For, no, for Trayvon, for Trayvon. Okay, that's fine. That's not, it's the same for David, but I thought it was Duval. I think that's normal. That would be the it normal. It takes the double L, I think, for Duval. Like, you know, yeah. Robert Duval of Godfather fame. Exactly. And it's Duval for, isn't that for the Jaguars? Bortles? The good place? I don't know. I don't know. That's well, like a big. There's a Jaguar whose name's Duval? I don't there's, I don't know what, maybe it's the, the county. I don't know. I have no idea. You said Bortles and the good place, and that was the sum of my Jaguar's knowledge. Um, do you think, I mean, we don't actually know, do we, if if Trayvon Duval is on a one or two year? I think it was contract. one. Do you think they would? pick his option up again as a restricted free agent if that's the case something they didn't do last year but he is a very different age and profile of guy that it might be worth their while keeping him for another year if you were if you were dave dean would you do it that's a better question not would do you think they would would you do it Dave Dean, John Horst. I mean, you can take your pick. Whoever you want to be, Jordan. Steve Brandis. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm not sure if he makes that decision, but no, if you no. want to be Steve Brandis, you can be him. You can be anyone you want, Jordan. Um, I mean, if you're not using, if you're not featured, I have to, I have to do with qualifiers. If you're, if you're not using, <laughs> if you're not going to feature your two-way players, if you're not, there's not going to be a reliance on it. Obviously, that well, is you're more... good, so you shouldn't have to. Exactly. And that's all. If you're using your two way players, it most likely means that you have no depth. one or two injuries in your rotation. Exactly. I would do it again. I, I would. I would stick with it just because you have to see if there's something there. And we obviously that was a big. Obviously, with uh, Bledsoe being in all star conversation, talking about that, we we're talking about nine months ago, or not nine months ago, but we were talking about maybe in the off season about. Hey, maybe this is a guy that he's a long-term project, and if the Bucks decide to move on from Bledsoe or want to upgrade their point guard spot, and they're trying to find kind of the the depth players, he could eventually be that type of guy. I mean, 
there's also a possibility in this, which his production hasn't necessarily earned that, but it would be draft pick-esque if they decided to do it. Things are going to get very expensive this summer. Very. George Hill is unlikely to come back with everyone else unless he wants a minimum contract. Maybe you settle for Duval as your third point guard and you give him like a minimum deal and you have him on the books roster proper. And then you don't have to worry about restrictions. You can develop them on a day-to-day basis around better players with the main Milwaukee Bucks coaching staff. Maybe they look to do something like that either. I think with his age, he is still very interesting in that front. And I would think it makes sense for them to kind of keep him around and see if that could become something. But you've been watching, obviously, so you would have a much better sense to me. No, I, I it's something that I, I thought about earlier in the season and just that would obviously be kind of the uh best case scenario for Duval Duval sorry Duval the McCure maker situation but um that obviously that would certainly be the best case scenario for him not he's I'm not saying he would be like a Monty Morris type but you know he would be certainly you said it you said it he's a Monty Morris type but that is that is what the Nuggets did last year that is what they did. A side note, I struggle with Monty for and like it's not, it's like it's what really Monty. It's like that's I expect Monty some Burns. sort of I expect some sort of accent there and it to be Monte. It's Dante with an M. I mean, why don't we call him Dante? <laughs> and it's Jonte Porter. Sorry. Yeah, well, there's no there's no argument with that one, but is it time we? I mean, maybe Monty Morris is right, and it's time we all start, you know, referring to Dante Dante Di Vincenzo, Dante, Don Daunting, Daunting. He's not my phone still. Right whenever now. I type in Dante, it autocorrects to don't still. It's very I mean, disconcerting. <laughs> it's it's trying to. Send a message back in time to the books, maybe? No. no oh. Kevin Herter has not made that pleasant. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. That's actually, one benefit of being good is you don't yeah. see as much about that as you would have. Because in other Patrick years... Recall, Patrick McCall went through the craziest free agent situation we've ever But book fans will talk about it forever because of the yeah. time it happened. Still traded him. Kevin Herter looks really good. He left really the defending good. champion. Golden State Warriors. He left them. He left them. He didn't want any part of it. I don't... That, yeah, that's a weird situation. But Kevin Herter looks really good, and no one's talking about it. Don't take this as encouragement to start talking about it, people. No, a lot of people have been talking about it. Have they? Okay, I'm not on that dark side of books, Twitter. It's more It's more Hawks, Hawks-centric uh, people. Oh, no, I'm no... I know that other people are talking about it being yeah, good. Yeah, but the I box mean... connection. There's a box connection that everybody sees, and I'm sure that people will look at the herder numbers. <laughs> Let's move on to the mail, like. Yes. The first few all come from at MK Robert. First of Robert's questions, the books are likely able to bring back all their starters if they really want to. Brooke could be the toughest to retain. What level of success do you think they would need to achieve for Horse to run it back? Competitive loss in the Eastern Conference Finals, loss in the Finals, win the Finals. I think if they win the Finals, I think I think they're all coming back. Um, if they lose in the Finals, I think they're all coming back. 
I think they're all coming back if they get to the conference finals. I actually don't know at this rate even if any of that stuff matters to the chances of them all coming back. What maybe matters more is could the book season be good enough that other players actually get interested in coming to Milwaukee? I think that is that's the only real obstacle between them all coming back. Other than another team dishing out some crazy offers and the books deciding against it. I think like they're likely all going to come back at this point. It's working very well. Yeah. I mean, this is what we talked about when they traded John Henson and Matthew Delvadova. They had, they have more cap space to bring everybody back. It's going to be expensive. They certainly have to dip their toe into, uh, you know, luxury tax, right? They'd still have to, if they wanted to bring everybody back, they, be luxury tax. Well, I mean, we don't know for sure because we don't know what deals they might be able to pull yeah, off if true. anyone takes a discount. But it seems certainly plausible that bringing everyone back could put the books in the luxury tax. Yeah, and I agree. I think it's if you were to play a series, uh, I think there's a very good chance that everybody's gonna be coming back. Yeah, I, I think. Look, if they're with the way they're currently going. A first round exit as maybe the one or two seed might be enough of a, you know, major panic that they do opt to go a different direction. Although I don't know if that would be smart. Um to me the the scenario where it becomes most likely that everyone doesn't come back and that it might be worth their while to explore that is actually the better they do. And if someone else wants to come and join the party, and then it's well, okay, we can bring everyone back if you take discounts and we add this player. That all is quite unlikely right now and very far down the line. But I, I would say, barring someone else kind of saying, I want to go and play in Milwaukee, they're going to find it pretty tough to improve on what they have without bringing the group back. Yeah, and honestly, you, they they will certainly hope out or hold out hope that that is a possibility, but that is a very dangerous one. Well, it is and it isn't, because I gave this some more thought. I said something on last week's episode, I think, about Malcolm Brogdon being the book's 1201 signing. Um, yep. That may not be the case, because the guy that they need to sign first, really, is Brooke Lopez. Everyone else, they have their rights. They can go over the tax to or go over the cap to resign them. The guy that they will have to get in under the cap is Brook Lopez. So, I mean, he doesn't technically have to be first, but if he's not first, he'll have to be second in the order of book signing. So, if they want to bring back Brook Lopez, he is the one that, I mean, he is the domino that everything else will be waiting on to fall for the books. Not all of free agency, although that's a fun thought. Um, as much as they may have kind of agreements in principle in place with guys beforehand, they'll really be waiting on Brooke before they can kind of officially move on with anything. And with that, that does a couple of things. One, it could make it very scary because, you know, you increase the possibility of other teams being able to come along having missed out on bigger targets and try to woo some of the other guys you might be waiting on to sign with bigger deals. 
But it also, on the other hand, buys you some time that maybe you can talk to some of the more high-profile free agents and see what happens. Like, it's still unlikely, but if Yanis wins the MVP and the Bucks get to a conference finals, the Bucks can probably get in some meetings with some of the more high-profile players and can probably at least get a chance to make their case where they wouldn't have in the past. But yeah, it's all... It's all still up in the air. It's all still kind of pretty complicated and will remain so at the time. It's going to be a, a hectic couple of weeks. I've already, I kind of squinted as if my head was hurting thinking about it, but I can already feel the mania of those two weeks and we're not that close to it. Again, from an MK, Robert, if the books thought DJ Wilson had this performance in them, do they still sign Ursan to that contract? Yes. Yeah, I think so too. Let's remember, Ursan's contract's a two plus one. Um, part of the reason they don't have depth problems is because they have Ursan and DJ. So, really, like if DJ is this good, Ursan is going to be an expiring right when they need to work on DJ's next deal. And everybody, everybody makes the comparison or kind of the Ursan to DJ, where it's more Ursan to Thon. Thon is out of the rotation. He's out of the rotation. He has. He had, what, three straight DMPs, maybe four? He played a little bit yesterday, but it was very much cameo. He's not good when he comes into the rotation is the problem. He's, exactly. That's And Ursan, I know, again, he's he's certainly the less athletic, the least athletic player on the Bucks roster. Um, But for 12 to 15 minutes, you're going to have a guy that's that's a fine defender. He's a more consistent and disciplined defender than Ton, and yes. he's a more consistent shooter than Ton. Yep, that's that is why. And he, he has play. two functioning hands, which also gives him an advantage over Ton. You went there, I did not. I mean, it's the truth. It's if Ton had hands, he'd be a very different player. <laughs> he would be a very different player. A very different player. Yeah, I don't know. That's maybe a conversation that on a bad season we would already have had quite a lot of times. But when things are going well, That's we what can last kind of, year was. Yeah, when things are going well though, we can just touch on it here and then just move on and say, yep. Yeah, let's not talk about Ton Maker for another day. Um again from Adam K. Robert. Can we skip all the Chris Middleton and trade questions? Robert actually asked this last week, but he asked he asked too late, so we'd already recorded all the Chris Middleton and trade questions. Uh, the answer this week, though, is no. This is the mailbag. Democracy rules the mailbag, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say I won't dismiss a lot of those questions out of hand immediately, but we're here to at least air them. We give them their chance. This is the platform. People use their platform for... Discourse. Questions. Discourse. We're all having a... It's a conversation, Garth Brooks. <laughs> we're all having a conversation... And think if this year shows anything is that Yadis is the alpha, omega, beta, whatever, how that goes. You love this. That's your new thing. You keep saying I that. I know. But everybody else is you're, on the table. You're saying Yadis is the alphabet is actually what you're saying. Yes. And everybody's looking to be Zed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's, I mean, that might just be a little harsh. but Isn't that? No, I know. But I'm just saying... It's you have the core player, 
everything else is up for debate about just how what is the long term viability of these players becoming a true second star to Giannis. Yeah, with the exception, genuinely, this isn't even a joke because this is, could sound like a joke. Jordan could laugh, with the exception of DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown because they're both on their rookie contracts. Yep. Like they're under contract, uh, which is very rare if you're a book. There is really only Giannis and those guys of <laughs> any worth. We've gone, from, we've gone from the Bucks having tied up with these guys, like they are always under contract to. Everyone's offered deals. Everyone. This is Everyone. what you get, books fans, for complaining about contracts. Now we don't have contracts. Yep. Now we don't have Everyone's contracts. Everyone's free well, to do what they want. Tony Snell is a part of that group, obviously. Snell was always the least extreme case in that group, though. And still, on any given night, can do enough that you'll be like, yeah, no, Snell's fine. He can live up to that. Um, but yeah. From MK Robert again, his fan reaction to Eric Bledsoe's regular season being inflated by the last memory we have of him from his crap playoffs. I don't... I, I'll answer this first, because I don't think it's being inflated, because I think I hold those playoffs against him as much as anyone. And I think he's having a really good regular season. It doesn't make it any more... In fact, it makes me more suspicious of how good his regular season is and just makes me think of, okay, but when the playoffs come around, what exactly is going to happen? But weren't we talking about that about Chris Middleton last year as well? No, I never... That was never the same thing. I mean, you were... You talked about playoff Chris Middleton. I never felt that. He was not... I know... I don't need to saying... go into again, like, you know, just exactly how much Eric Bledsoe melted down in the playoffs. That is not, that's not just struggling in the playoffs. It's not having a cold spell. That's not, it's completely abnormal for a player of his ability to play the way he played, to act the way he acted, to just be completely out of it for the playoffs last year. That's a very different deal. That isn't like, oh, Middleton hasn't been at his best in the playoffs when he's been twice. And one of them was back in like 2014, you know, I think it's a very different thing. I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's. It's. I'm not. Do saying... I overstate Bledsoe's playoffs? <laughs> Genuine question. Do I overstate? Because anytime I think about them, I just I get really angry. I don't really get angry about a lot of book stuff anymore. But his playoff performance. You really get angry about that. <laughs> his his playoff performance kind of haunts me because just the prospect. Because it was everything. Back, it was everything. It was everything that came to define it was it was literally like the the worst of the buck season last year in one player's performance and that includes jabari parker oh forget about him <laughs> i Gone. know i'm just saying forget about him um with bledsoe it's okay the team is really good now the team wins 60 games and they secure the first seed and they're in a first round series with the brooklyn nets Yanis like stubs his toe, misses three games, and everyone's like, it's fine. Still got Eric Bledsoe. And then Eric Bledsoe gets into some weird kind of mental warfare yeah. that he can't the win Angelo with D'Angelo Russell. Russell and <laughs> the Bucks lose in five games to an eight seed. So, so something like that still just it's there in my head. It haunts me because what happened to him last year was just so 
I don't know, freakish. Look, I'll give you a comparison. It made Kyle Lowry look mentally strong. It made playoff Kyle Lowry look like, you know, a guy who's ready. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I really would. I would not. So to I don't know. Your question, if you wanna, so I think if you want to so weigh in on the question, Robert's question. <laughs> no, genuinely, give your answer to the question. I I think personally, it, it makes me suspicious of his regular season, and yet I'm still very impressed by it. So I think it speaks volumes of his regular how good his regular season is. But Jordan may feel otherwise. I know for a long time I talked about being a pro Bledsoe. Last year I had the scarlet letter on my chest and I proudly brandished it. Um, So I would agree. I think a lot of people, everybody looks at that playoff series and he, again, um, (laughs) had a midlife crisis (laughs) of a playoff series. But a... I, I don't know. I I last year he was very good. There was so many other problems with the Bucks that Bledsoe I remember saying it when they acquired him. Bledsoe was not gonna wholly solve it. And we saw it last year. And we're celebrating a year later after the Bucks fired Jason Kidd. But um he was a very efficient player. He made the best of his year. It it just goes to show you that this year when he's Having arguably, oh, I guess he he had a very bad slump when he first came to the Bucks too. I don't know, but I think I think that playoff series really overshadows what was a very very solid season first year with the Bucks for Bledsoe last year, and it's gonna hard it's it's very hard to <laughs> to come to terms with just how bad he was in the playoffs. But I I'm always gonna lead more pro Bledsoe just because I think we get the good version of him more than the bad version. It does ultimately matter when we get the good version, though, right? That's a very good point. If that happens again... <laughs> if that happens again, actually, let's to be more specific on this, no matter how far the books go, if Bledsoe no-shows like that in the playoffs after a great regular season, uh, then I don't think you can resign him at any sort of significant number. But I, I don't know if it's possible for a player to just completely just blank like he did in the playoffs last year again. I certainly hope not. He's been great in the regular season. Uh, he may well be an all-star. So he needs to kind of half show he's an all-star. Just half show it in the playoffs. The next one. From Mr. Jibs. If the entire Bucks roster and the Raptors roster were traded for each other, would you still hate the Raptors? I feel like that's not a question for me. No, I think that one might be for me, Jordan. <laughs> well, I can't rule out the possibility that there would still be a general complex around the Raptors where, you know, everyone would just have to talk about how great the Raptors were. And, you know, every little thing the Raptors do, you know, needs to be pumped up. Meanwhile, the entire Raptors fan base would be giving out about not getting enough, you know. Not getting enough attention, not getting enough claim. Is this why you want Vancouver to have another team so there's more than it's not Canada's team? It's I mean, I don't think I've ever said or thought about <laughs> I want Vancouver to have a team. <laughs> but why not? Maybe they're a different kind of Canadian. Maybe I need to get to know a different kind of Canadian basketball fan. Who knows, Jordan? There's certainly a different hockey fan for my very limited knowledge of Better, better or worse? 
I don't know. I think it's certainly more. Well, I need to know this because it's probably it's worse because hockey is. Not... I mean, that's oh their... well, then I'm I'm not advocating for a Vancouver team if it's worse than the Raptors. Well, I'm just saying hockey is the the love affair with hockey up there is more. I'm not the only person. I I might be the only person who voices my opinions to this kind of extreme on the Raptors, but it's it's an ongoing joke. You know, this the spooky Mulder thing, yep. the Raptors of the the kind of weird fandom that surrounds that team and they're I think you know big media Jordan they gave in they gave in to all those Raptors fans who were crying out for more attention more coverage they now get too much attention so yeah I don't know um no I like I like some books so I think I'd like them if they're other Raptors but I just have to hope you know can all the books fans just go with them and be Raptors fans? Is it just a complete everything? Would Sterling Brown would Sterling Brown be more lauded for being OG and Anobi when OG and Anobi? You is know the OG answer to that Anobi? question. If Sterling Brown was on the Raptors, <laughs> there'd be a queue of the most prominent national writers, like ready and waiting to shake his hand and embark on a feature interview. We would be. I don't know. I'm try. I'm starting like spiderweb. I don't know. <laughs> From Mr. Jibs again. Is there a reason Ursan is still playing outside of him being a vet? I feel like his offense has been non-existent for a while. I don't think this is true. I'm kind of surprised. Well, maybe I shouldn't be surprised at the strength of negative feeling towards Ursan because that has always been what happens with Ursan. Bucks mm-hmm. fans love Ursan until he's actually on the team. Yep. And then it's like, oh, that guy in his contract and his inconsistent shooting. And <laughs> like, he, it's literally always the same thing. He is actually one of the most consistent players in the NBA. You can rely on him to be inconsistent. You can rely on him to take charges and to be really, really, really good defensively in terms of positional awareness, just kind of fundamentally sound. I don't think he's being that bad. His percentages maybe aren't that great as I pull them up. Let's see. Last 10 games, he's shooting 48.1% from the field and just under 40% from deep. And that's what it feels like. It feels like he's making his wide open trees when they fall his way. So, no, I disagree with that. I think he's actually playing quite well. His role is reduced because DJ is able to give them some more. That's not a bad thing. He's a ninth man. He's a ninth man, and that experience does count for something in that, too. And some of the different things he can bring, he's positionally versatile. No, he should be playing. I mean, what is the case for Ursa not being in the rotation? Certainly not Tom. Exactly. That's, again, we, everybody, we can't, it's not, compa- or it's not comparable between Ursan and uh, DJ. It's more Ursan and Thon. Urthon. Like, it's game one of the playoffs. Do you want Ursan getting minutes, or do you want Tom getting minutes? I know playoff Tom's a thing, but I'd still probably take the risk of going with Ursan. From at OGGZ, Adam, are you ready to admit that Chris isn't getting 25 plus million from the books? They're still winning without him, shooting well consistently for almost three months now. Okay. I said this last week. Yep. We um, lost this last week. 
no, there's no am I ready to admit. It's like, what am I admitting? It's a, I'm not w- wishing it will happen. I'm not trying to will it into existence. It's what I think is likely to happen. I don't think Chris Middleton is going to end up on the scrap heap of the NBA because, you know, he's had a bad season. There will be plenty of not smart teams who do not realize he's had a bad season and will be prepared to pay him. And if the books want to keep him, they'll have to cough up. Um, so, I mean, it's not about me ready to admit because I just think it's what's going to happen. I'm not looking for it to happen. I'd rather if they could sign him for $5 million a year. Realistically, though, I think the only chance that he's making anything south of 20 to $25 million comes if he wants to take a discount. Not sure why he'd do that, but I think it's the only mm. way that happens. It's It doesn't matter that he's not shooting well consistently. He's a guy who's been a key part of the team for years. The books are going to value that. They're going to bet on, okay, this isn't a, his best year by any means. This is a bad year for him, really. But players have them. He's going to bounce back. They might be wrong on that. You can disagree with that. But I think the books are likely to bet on that. And I think... Other teams around the NBA will too. The other part of this, and it's kind of what we touched on in the all-star discussion, I was saying, you know, how coaches evaluate Middleton. The book, a dramatically worse team because there isn't an easy upgrade. And you can't just say he's not shooting well, so put Tony Snell in and tell him to take more shots or sign like mid-level player X and tell him to do this. Part of the threat that Middleton offers is what helps the book's offense to tick as it's been going. Mm-hmm. He can also play make. He's been playmaking really well this season. We've touched on this recently. He's actually rebounding quite well. He's become a more consistent player in a lot of different ways. The one down spot is his shooting, his scoring, which we talked about last week, but I think it's even been a bigger conversation point in various different places since. The offense is very, very different for him and what it can give him. It doesn't mean that he can never figure that out because I actually think he does have the tools to figure that out. It may just be taking him more time than the others. The other thing about all of these conversations is Middleton had down spells last year. He's had down spells in lots of years and some of them extended. Then look what he does in the playoffs last year. Like for anyone who's kind of like, oh, they can't do this at Middleton now. Middleton can go and shoot like 10% from three for the rest of the season. And if he goes and is absolutely on fire for two or three rounds and the books keep motoring along, he'll probably make more than 25 million in the summer. I don't think anyone is going to try the whole, you know, the whole sample of Chris Middleton's career to date based on what we're seeing recently, where, you know, again, if you're not watching every books game, his numbers are, aren't that bad. They're holding up better than it kind of feels like they're holding up. And I think that's an interesting thing when it comes to what his value will sit at because how other teams around the NBA could value. So I guess that's the question. I'm here crossing my fingers that Middleton could be signed for 5 million a year for the next four years. Uh, But I'd be an absolute moron if I was sitting here saying, I think that's what's going to happen if I think he's going to come back at the same price he's been on for the last few years when he's been advertised as one of the league's most underpaid players. That is also a factor in this. He's going to want what he didn't get because of the way his contract fell, the timing of his deal with the CBA last time. 
if you listen to you're the most underrated player for a number of years, I think you're going to want your payday now. And this mm-hmm. is his last big payday. Yep. So I think 25 million range could be a little below, could be a little above, is still right where Chris Middleton is most likely to fall this summer. Next question from at Z Mikulowski. Which Bucks player deserves to be the second all-star on the team if they get one? Bledsoe, Middleton, Brogdon, Brook. I mean, we've talked about this, but deserves? Oh, it's a very tricky word. Loaded. I, th- I still... When the question is phrased like that, I still think guys like Brook and Brogdon have a really strong case. Brook in particular... Um, I don't know. I think it's most likely to be Bledsoe. And also, probably worth mentioning, I, the Bucks have multiple guys deserving of being an All-Star. It's just not going to happen that way. It's honestly, it is probably Bledsoe, as much as I would like to stump for a, a Brook or a Brogdon and go along with it with Middleton. <laughs> I'm joking. But... Again, Bucks have the best defense. Their best defender this year has been Bledsoe. Maybe it is with Brook. I don't know. That's that's what makes this whole thing tricky. Is that again, two through five, and it's it's they're the sum of those parts have come together in a very interesting way and obviously a very successful one that has made the All Star conversation very prickly and thorny to determine. <laughs> So, I don't know. <laughs> you just saw me lose interest in real time. <laughs> the all-star conversation was like, let's really go with it. From at Tom Fountain, considering 6-12 to 12 on the Bucks roster feels like they all play decent roles equally, how will but short and rotation come playoffs? Who will see more or less playing time? That's a good question. First part of the answer I'd give is I don't think he'll shorten it that much. Second question is the way in which he'll, or second answer is the way in which he'll shorten it will be guys will just play less, but I think close to as many guys may still play. Um, That would very much align with what he's done in previous years with the Hawks. It's not like he suddenly plays a seven-man rotation. Um, Also, if the books are good... Like they've been in the regular season, you may not have to gear up to play Yanis 44 minutes in a first round series, you know, per game. It's you might be able to play. I mean, any of the teams, even some of the more frisky ones. That's read the Nets. That that reference was entirely for the Nets. I think that's how you describe Hornets. Hornets, if they play the Bucks, because they, whatever reason, they won't. We'll see it again Friday. Could be a frisky Friday. I don't think so. I think the Bucks would sweep the Hornets like with oh, interesting. one arm tied behind their back, otherwise known as playoff Eric Bledsoe. Um, How dare you. <laughs> if he is to cut it back right now, and there's plenty of time for it to change, but I think it would cut back to nine guys. Mm. Yeah, I think nine guys. With the bench players who would get minutes being 
George Hill, Sterling Brown, Ursan Alisova, and DJ Wilson. I think Tony Snell would miss out right now, but that could be fluent. I mean, there's also no real reason to stop at nine rather than ten, depending on what minutes you have. Like, you might just say, okay, that's by Tony as well. I don't, I don't know. They're deep. So if you can actually take advantage of your depth in the playoffs and hang with teams in a playoff setting with your stars getting some rest, you do that. That's a good thing. That's going to put you an advantage if your stars are the fresher players at the end of the game. I mean, there may be an element of kind of trial and error that would make everyone uncomfortable with that, but I think the whole... The Bucks playoff experience this year is going to be very much trial and error because it's going to be so unfamiliar. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I, I just can't really think about playoffs right now because it's January and we're talking about All Star and that's even boring me at, <laughs> at this point. But because we can't really predict what does DJ Wilson look like in a playoff series? What does Sterling Brown look like in a playoff series? He it's also going to depend life? on the matchup. Exactly. Um, and I know we talk about Eric Bledsoe, you know, self-combusting, self-destructing, Mission Impossible fallout. Um, but Ursan, I mean, look at what he did with the Sixers last year. He, everybody's complaining about Ursan. Well, if he's going to have seven tap back <laughs> rebounds and like scores that way, he's going to be a, uh, integral part of the team's rotation. We can't predict, we can't predict the, you know, if it's going to rain on Tuesday or, you know, the forecast. Okay, I'll move to <laughs> the next question. <laughs> From at DLish04, can the books continue to have success after a season if they lose one or more of their starters? I think they can, but it may be tough for them to replicate if unless they find a way to make an upgrade or fill in that gap with comparable talent. And I don't know if either of those things are easy to do. I think realistically, if they lose one of those guys in a way that isn't of their own design, they're likely to take a step back next year. A step back may not be a big deal, but that could be on the table. That could also be a step back just to start the season. It wouldn't necessarily mean that they couldn't make that up by the time the playoffs come around. Is it a, the difference between... What kind of step back they make? Is it an Urson step back? Is it a Brooks step back? Is it a DJ Wilson step back? We don't know. Yeah. There's also, I mean, again, like the books could sign these guys with a view to this is really good right now, but let's try to sign them to deals that are significant, but still of fair value that we can target upgrades that way. Because the main reason right now that the books couldn't get involved in trades is actually less the lack of assets. I mean, right at this moment, it's the lack of assets because they've got expirings, but it's also their lack of any sort of significant salary to match. Or <laughs> That's the problem. We talk about salary as in to match, but sometimes that salary can be attached to a player that appeals to a team. Like The books don't have guys like that right now because they're all expiring. But if they do re-sign Bledsoe, Chris Middleton, Lopez, Brogdon, they could be traded. 
you know, long term, they could be traded. And if the deal is friendly enough, that could be a really strong and obvious route to further improvement for the books. So all of that is kind of hard to really get a handle on. But I think they'd likely take a step back if through no kind of decision of their own, they missed out on one or more of this year's starters coming back. Mm -hmm. Damari Carroll with the Hawks, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, is kind of the cautionary tale on that front. Um, And that is probably more significant than we'll ever give a credit for because if Bud is asked for his opinion, if the if the Bucks go win sixty games and get to a conference finals, and then Bud's asked for his opinion, do you think we should bring everyone back? Bud will probably, like a madman, eyes bulging, be screaming, "Bring everyone back!" Uh, because he's seen how everyone quickly, how quickly the other route can kind of turn sour. Mm-hmm. Um, from Ada Tundraman. Middleton seems lost lately. I know, but Ball doesn't embrace his speciality. The mid-range jumper. So, do we just pull the Band-Aid off now and try and trade him, or do we hope he can embrace his inner three-point specialist? What are you trading them for? It's like loose change down the back of the couch. You're not getting a player back that is anywhere near what Chris Middleton can be by trading a Chris Middleton with six months to go. You have the best record in the NBA. Why would you trade a player who, on talent, is by consensus? Performance, this isn't the case, but by talent, is your consensus second best player. Why The Bucks might have a chance to win a championship. That's a real thing. You're not getting anything for Middleton that makes it worth trading Middleton. That makes it even worth the disruption, the chemistry of making a change like that. Um, no, there's no band-aid to pull off. I mean, it might just be an open wound right now, but we've got to suck it up and hope it heals. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that's a very, you know, everybody wants to... I'm open a... to someone telling me what is... And like, really try to be realistic. If anyone could send suggestions, and if they're if they're not realistic, I'm just going to ignore them. So, but if you could send, if you can come up with a realistic trade, getting, like what is that would make sense for the books and the other team that sees them think trading? Of, think Chris of the names. Think of like the more prominent names that have been floated out there for trade discussion. It's been like Dennis Smith Jr., Aaron Gordon. Who, I mean. If we're complaining about Chris Middleton about you know consistency and stuff like that, Aaron Gordon's uh, a very more uh, uh, worrisome example of that. I mean, it's just we're not talking; those aren't fully fleshed out players. And sure, yes, Middleton has had his struggles integrating to the the three points heavy system uh, that Bud has implemented. But I just don't. You're. It's just it's just a shakeup for the sake of shakeup, and you want to relink. You want to find someone with that. Uh, that you know, say if he does walk, you're you want someone to, or you want a player in return that can really fill up the fill the need that they have in mind. Right. Or that, the that's Bucks a, have. that is essential to it. It's not just get an upgrade. It's not like any old upgrade. The books aren't a team with no talent. They've got a well-oiled machine going here. If Middleton leaves, you need someone to fill that role, that specific position. Because Brooke has been doing his part, Bledsoe's been doing his part, Brogdon's been doing his part, Yanis obviously has been doing his part. So you don't just need, it's like you need specifically someone who's going to come in and do that. And 
like an, a lesser player and a first round pick for Middleton. Why does, of all the years, why would that matter? If they actually did that deal, people should be up in arms because they have a chance to really compete, really compete, like the franchise hasn't done since 1974. That kind of compete this year. Like, they're currently the best team in the NBA by record, by point differential, by net rating, whatever measure you want to go with, other than, oh, look, the Warriors got Boogie Cousins. He's had one good game. We all need to just down tools because the Warriors have won, which is a weird thing that a lot of you know media sorts decided to do. There's a season to play out. Um, and right now, as it's playing out, the books are doing a better job than anyone else. Don't trade the guys who are a part of that. Like, trade them if you get a better deal. If the Raptors are so scared, which, I mean, maybe they should be, of Kawhi uh, walking away in the summer, and they're just like, we just need to cut our losses now. We'll take Middleton and the chance to re-sign him. Do you want Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, sure. The book should make a deal. Anything like that isn't happening. Like, you can only move Middleton for something that is guaranteed to be better or as effective. And I don't think there are a lot of things out there that fit that criteria that are realistically going to come Milwaukee's way. Speaking of Middleton, at David Dunn 21. <laughs> Tell the truth. It's pretty sweet that LeBron James isn't on this team, isn't it? We don't have him taking credit for teaching Giannis how to win and become a true professional. We aren't giving him credit for Giannis dunking at unprecedented levels. We don't have the circus. All things equal, winning or losing with a really likable group of guys that you trust, plus Chris Middleton, is superior to being King James' one-year stand. Yes. He then has glass, 2.5 stars out of 4. Split, 2 out of 4 stars. Unbreakable, 3.5 out of 4 stars. Which we won't really give any discussion to, other than to say, those last two ratings, not very good. Um, I don't really know why this is a LeBron question, other than LeBron occupies a place in David Dunn21's, you know, Psyche quite like Chris Middleton's. But what struck me at reading the start of this is, you know, and this is a nice full circle moment one year on, we could swap LeBron for Jason Kidd. <laughs> if I said it's pretty sweet that Jason Kidd isn't the coach on this team, isn't it? We don't have him taking credit for teaching Yanis how to win and become a true <laughs> professional. We aren't giving him credit for Yanis dunking at unprecedented levels. We don't have the circus. I feel like all of that fits, and that might be sweeter. I think that is a perfect way to round out this <laughs> podcast. Are there any more questions? You know, it's so fitting, Jordan, that there are no more questions. That is there it. There we go. Okay, that does it for our one-year anniversary of the Jason Kidd Firing Podcast. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, or you merely found it passable and wouldn't mind having it appear in your podcast feed of choice again make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts follow us on SoundCloud Addison Stitcher favorite us on TuneIn Radio you can also read all of mine Jordan and the rest of the team's writing at BehindTheBookPass.com and we'll be back again for more Bookstock sometime next week thanks again for listening thank you Jordan thank you thank you